Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Family's weird, man. My dad has schizophrenia. Y'all know what that is? Yeah. You know the hardest part about that? Spelling schizophrenia. <laughs> you look crazy trying to spell it. That's C. There's a Z in there somewhere. That's it. Yeah, that's in there somewhere. It's embarrassing. That's why I don't talk about it. It's hard to bring awareness to something you can't spell. Like, I kind of wish he had AIDS. It would be easier. I tell you, my dad got AIDS. You're like, yeah, I know how you get that. Your dad's a freak. Schizophrenia, a whole different ball game. You know what I mean? It's hard to argue with somebody with schizophrenia. It's easy to argue with somebody with AIDS. <laughs> I go to somebody with AIDS right now and be like, hey, LeBron James is the best basketball player in the NBA. Be like, no, Michael Jordan. We got an argument. Go to my dad, dad, LeBron James is the best basketball player in the NBA. Dang what he told me last week. What? <laughs> Yeah, I've seen him coming out the Adidas store. Shut up, he don't wear Adidas, he only wear Nikes. Well, he had on the Adidas that day. He was sneaking out the store, and he looked up and saw me, he said, shh, he kept going. Hey, this is Jose Ignacio Alfaro, producer of Are We Still Talking About This? In this episode, Jessica and Adam speak with stand-up comedian and actor Byron Bowers. Bowers has performed all over the world and co-stars with Shia LaBeouf in the upcoming Amazon Studio feature film, Honey Boy. This episode features great conversations about mental illness, Afghanistan, and paternal genitalia. More information about Byron, his tour dates, and mental health resources can be found in the episode description. Enjoy! And the first conversation we had, she um, said names of some comedians that I won't repeat, but it was 
maybe the four or five comedians that I respect the most. I'm like, okay, we have the same taste. And then after that, when I came to see you for the first time, even though, what was that, Dynasty Typewriter? Yeah. So, you know, it's a very nice theater, but it's not a comedy club. Yeah. And even on that stage, it was like, oh, shit, this is somebody doing something on a totally different level. And then since then, I think I've seen you five times, yeah. six times maybe. I don't know, yeah. which, again, I don't do. And uh, I still laugh at the material I know really well every time I hear it, which just doesn't happen. Well, we all witness me. We all witnessed those moments when I'm touched by the comedy gods. And that was at night at the Comedy Store Festival on the roof. Wow. When I don't know what, what happened. <laughs> but when, when I got off stage, we all looked in each other's eyes like... Can you set that up a little bit? Yeah. All I know is... It was just one of those nights. Like, I get to the venue, I meet Jessica. You you pulled up late, and I think y'all went to a restaurant. Yeah. yeah. And then I was like, "Where's the Where's the VIP entrance?" And it was we should say it was the Comedy Store holiday party. A holiday party. Fe- it was a festival. Fest- so festival. It's a, it's a it was at La Fonda Theater. Right. It was the first Comedy Store festival. F- festival. Who else was playing there? David Spade, Mark Marin, David Tell, Jeff Ross, Nikki Glaser, Nikki Glaser, Byron. Who else? A few other people. But all I know, I wasn't on the flyer, but I never paid attention to it. Anyway, I was like, I wasn't on the flyer or whatever. So, and I'm like, where's the VIP entrance? And I'm bad with entrances. That's why I'm pre-check. I'm global entry. <laughs> yeah. uh, authority is not a thing. If it's not smooth for me to get in, it's going to be a problem. Right. So, I was. I looked at Jessica and I'm like, oh, boy. I don't see a line. We just going in. Let's go. And I didn't give her no, you know, whatever. I'm just like, let's go. So I walked straight through the metal detectors. I took everything in my pocket. I held him up, and I walked straight through inside, and it was a commotion. Oh, boy. I'm like, oh, it's going to be a show? So I just put my, like, I walk in everywhere, like, yo, what's up? I'm here. All attention on me. They was radio bosses and all this stuff. And long story short, I got in, but it was an issue. Yeah, I remember your wardrobe was particularly excellent that evening, and I think that also might have... uh, Disturb security a lot. Oh, yeah, I don't pay attention. I had on a poncho. Uh, I, this is LA, so you could look like anything really and go into any building. So I, I looked like I was one of the homeless people on Hollywood Boulevard, you know, and I just walked into this venue. It looked like you were a bandolier concealing ammo belts and two yeah. pistols in the Old West, is exactly what. Yeah, like straight Django. <laughs> yep. And uh, yeah, it was an issue, and they finally came in and I told security, thank you, y'all did y'all job, you know. And then they was mad at me. And I'm like, this is like a test, you know. Yeah. I was like, you know how y'all have a meeting and they tell you before you walk in the building, if you see this, this is a red flag, this is a red flag, call me. I'm like, y'all did that, you know what I mean? And y'all <laughs> yeah. did a great job at that. Right. And then uh, I go in and they like, yeah, you on the roof. I see a bunch of people oh downstairs. Oh, my God. And by the way, it was a windy night in L.A. It was, it was cold. Like, it was cold. It, it was a cold like L.A. night. And downstairs, hundreds of people, right? Hundreds of people. And then upstairs on this roof with this fake grass, you know, they had maybe, I don't know, ten, like, 10 people at most. But but five of those people worked there. They had to give out drinks. Right. They would make it. Three of them was making T-shirts for the festival that right. nobody was buying. It's just sort of like a lounge, right? Lounge chairs. And... People smoking cigarettes, people sort of aloof. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God, this is not where you're performing. So I said, let's just go. Why don't you just perform in the hallway where people are passing by? Yeah, that's true. She's like, there's, there's more, more There's more people. By. There's more people than on this fucking roof. I was so angry. I was like, oh, my God. And before you was Kurt Metzger on the roof, um, who, and I was enjoying the shit out of Kurt's set. The rest of the audience kind of kind of wasn't. So it was Kurt 
just doing its material to almost no response at all oh, or hostile man. responses just to kind of set the stage for where you get up there. It, it's, you know, not a comedy vibe. And then they threw somebody else up in front of me. Right. Oh, Fitzsimmons, he asked me how it was. I'm like, it's five people up there. <laughs> so all of a sudden, he got sick. Oh. <laughs> Quote, unquote. Right. And they was like, oh, he can't perform, so we're going to put two people in this place. And that's when that thing went off on me, like, oh, this is so disrespectful. This you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like it's a humble experience. Because especially after me about to fight security, like, you don't know who I am? I'm on the I'm on the flyer. I don't need no ID. That on my picture right there. Hold on. Somebody from the club, come out here and get me. I'm walking in. Well, I ain't taking nothing out of my pocket. And then I go see the roof, and I'm like, oh. And then I got called on stage finally. And I just went up there and did, I guess, my version of complaining, and I just unleashed. And it was all just raw, and it just flowed and worked. And I was like, just, I don't know how it was coming out so fast, but I listened to the the tape, and I I posted it 15. To be clear, though, so there were five people on the roof, and by the time, I don't know, 10, 12 minutes into the set, the roof, by the end of that, mid-set, was packed. Yeah. That was where the show was. That's like where everyone was. People behind me were like, who the fuck is this guy? What the yeah, hell is going on? I seen people table. leave. I thought I was walking them. Because okay. I kept, every time somebody left, I was like, oh, you don't like this type of material? And they would come back with like three or four more people. And yeah. it ended up like 200 people on the roof. And I remember like, I'm so far on the roof. When I stare out, I see a big ass uh, billboard with bird box on it. I remember talking about that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then it turned, and under, and but right before my eyes, I seen like a career grow, cause I seen five people turn into. You always hear this story, it's like, oh, I couldn't sell a ticket. Next thing I know, I'm selling like doing weekends. Yeah. And I saw that. I saw a glimpse of that in one night. You know what I mean? And people were cheering, and I looked up, and Jeff Ross was just sitting in the was grass. Was sitting. Yeah, I was sitting. In the sitting grass. down on the ground watching me, and I was like, wow. And then I just left, you know what I mean? And then, like, Adam didn't say nothing to me. He just looked and, like, nodded his head. And I was like, wow. Yeah. It was one of those nights. And I remember getting off, and I, I think I saw you first, and I looked in your eye like, what just happened? Both of y'all, you yeah. know? So, yeah, man, that's that's the beauty of, you know, them weird off nights and you catching that glimpse, you know? As far as the other stuff, I don't know. If you think I'm good or whatever, I'm just I'm just pushing these issues out that I have. And that's what's dope, you know. When did you think it started to click for you? At year seven, I realized I was funny, right? Yeah. And then I got tested. I went to Afghanistan. And uh, I remember I was doing material about, uh, uh, what's the what's the uh, restaurant where you got it, where they see the Knights fight? Medieval oh, Times. Medieval Times. Yeah. So I flew into Afghanistan doing Medieval Times material on the first show at one o'clock in the afternoon, and I Bombed. Well, there oh, it is, still medieval God. times. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, definitely. So they yeah. didn't get the. Yeah. Well, not only that, I'm reminding people of their families and all this stuff. It was me. It was a guy named Trey Elliott. It was a guy named Jake. It was a chick named Vanessa and uh, Francisco Ramos. Who are you performing for? Uh, the Soldiers troops. Yeah, the troops, the troops yeah. in the command. And um, so I bombed, and I was sitting in that little bunker we had on this cot, and I was I was nervous. And I was scared and I was like feeling worthless. And uh, it just instinctively in my head was like, man, you funny though. You don't need jokes. Because that's what I realized when I that when it hit me. I'm like, man, I'm funny. I'm, I'm who I was before I started comedy. I'm funny somehow. Like I don't need material. 
And then that was the test because I went up there. I had to close the show out because I, I bombed. So they was like, you just going to go last. And I did 40. I was supposed to do 20. Is there going to be a lot? I was supposed to do 20. I did 40. And um, I remember grabbing a mannequin on my way to the stage. And I went on to grab this mannequin and I went out and I talked about everything I experienced while I was in Afghanistan. And then it got it turned into a standing ovation because now I'm not even doing like everybody doing like dating material. And when you drink, you get drunk. No, I'm talking about all everything. And the soldiers would give me standing ovations and then command would complain. Because you can't talk about this here. This is such a. Like, you know, we I know we couldn't talk about rape or we couldn't talk about everything else, but it was such a borderline mm-hmm. thing because I'm questioning, like, oh, it's 40 guys in a room. Well, it's 40 females to a room. They can't smoke cigarettes. They can't have a drink. Right. Like, I'm everything I, I observed, and then it just turned into this whole battle of saying stuff and then not saying stuff. And the last show I gave in, it was like, I'm just going to do clean because I got reprimanded so much. It was so tense. I touched a lady's hand. In the uh in the mess hall that was uh Afghan female and the whole wow. place went quiet like a war was about to break out. Wow. You know, so and then I did this show, it was clean, I just went through the thing, and then the soldiers came up to me after the show and they was like, Man, we don't we don't appreciate what you did <laughs> because we knew you was coming here. We heard about you from the other base and we out here putting our lives on the line and you toned it down for whatever reasons. You know what I mean? And they was like, We already have to do that. We already have to be out here and not even think about why we out here, whether it's wrong or not. Right. And it's a blessing for you to come and bring that energy to us. You know what I mean? So it's weird, you know, how the universe put me in these different places to let me know, like, kind of what your job is. Right. And, and no matter, how, you know, whether it's clean, people like, you should be clean, whatever. No, this is what, this is why you're here, you know. So that, yeah, year seven was, and I was put to the test that time. And it's been like ups and downs ever since. You know what I mean? Yeah. The yeah. nature of comedy, right? Yeah. The nature of, of life. And life. Life sure. is ups and downs. And when you're on this journey, you realize it's a journey of self. Like comedy taught me everything. And life, you know what I mean? I was a young guy when I started. I wasn't young, but I definitely was lost. I was I was I could have been out stealing cars or whatever. How and when did you start comedy? How was uh my just the same way your friends telling you funny and I went on stage and bombed. Where? Uh, Uptown, Comedy Corner. Nard Hostin was hosting. He brought me to the stage. And me and this guy started snapping on one another. And then I lost. And I got booed. And by the time I went outside, my homeboy already had pulled the car around. <laughs> yeah, that's how bad it was. And he was like, man, I could hit him from down here. <laughs> that club was on the second floor in a corner. And he's like, I could hit him from down here. And he had a car with three-inch pipes on it, like 70. So it was loud. And he still could hear them booing. And I stopped doing comedy. I started and stopped the same night. Wow. Something that you talk about in your act and that just from hanging out with you a little bit comes through is that you're just a, a different thinker. Um, and I think some of that might have to do with uh, psychedelic drug experimentation. What, did you start experimenting with that stuff before you started comedy, after no, you started comedy? I didn't do no drugs. I didn't curse. Me and my sister put out a rap tape when I was like in the fifth grade or some shit. And she cursed. He said shit on it, and I stopped the music. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't, we don't curse. You know what I mean? That's a, that's how good I was up until like I broke, I broke bad because so much was happening. By the time, you know, I was fifteen, I already dealt with like a bad sexual situation. 
I dealt with death, like losing loved ones. My dad was in a mental home and then he started using drugs. And I'm I'm an A and B student. And I'm like, what's the importance of this? You know, and dealing with so much pain, I had to start cutting myself. I had athlete feet. That's the worst. You know what I mean? <laughs> you already trying to fit in and your feet itching? Come on. <laughs> you know, underneath. So it was so much stuff going on that I started to break. Meanwhile, my sister who was here was in school just beating motherfuckers' asses left and right. <laughs> I'm talking about hitting them with vase. For you on your behalf. No, she was just, she dealt with anger at such a young age. Like, she a mom now. She's calm. She do corporate stuff. Like, I broke. It's like our life switched. You know what I mean? But she learned how to deal with that when you when you should at such a young age, you know? Can you talk a little bit more about what you guys were going through? Uh, I don't know her. I, I get glimpses of what she was going through, but it was so much. Like, she took care of my mom. My mom had a stroke, and I probably was outside or playing Nintendo or something. But she had to literally feed my mother. You know what I mean? Seven or eight-year-old had to take care of somebody, you know, like that. We lost our mother at a certain point because of the state or something was like, took, was about to take us from our mom. You know what I mean? So we ended up in two different situations. She ended up in a, in a house with a family, like with sisters and a father that provided. And then I ended up at grandma's house, you know, getting touched on in the back room and Grandma kind of mean, but she nurturing at the same time. So those that split really affected us subconsciously in a way. Then we came back together and straight had to survive from there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, and we moved to Atlanta from like Athens. So we was country when we landed, and I got snapped on and teased, and she just beat motherfuckers' asses. <laughs> you know what I mean? And she was light skinned so you had that whole light skin, dark skin. Thing. So she really had to prove herself. She was down there being white in the black community. So, yeah, she. I remember getting jumped, and I seen her fly over and hit dudes, you know, and they had to grab her before they tried to jump me because she was the most dangerous thing out there, you know what I mean? My stuff kicked in later, but we were getting fights ourselves at the house, you know. I would get hit. I probably would hit her, and she would hit the dog, you know what I mean? It was just a thing. So I don't. I think it affects us differently, and I'm still understanding how these these things play out now. Like when you're in a relationship, and that's what I'm going through now, and it's just another discovery, you know, of yourself. And that's something that we talk about a, a fair amount on here with some folks is how something like you mentioned the sexual abuse in your grandmother's house. What sort of stuff is coming up? And adult relationships that you think, oh shit, I have issues because of X, Y, or Z. I don't know. I think like I was I was married before to you know my first wife from Atlanta, you know what I mean. And now I'm in a relationship, and my girl now is from Tel Aviv. And when I was with my girl from Atlanta, she was like, "You selfish," and I'm like, "You tripping? I ain't selfish." And then the Tel Aviv person be like, "You selfish," and I'm like, "Oh, it must be me." When before, you know, I didn't date a lot because of issues I had. Like, I didn't, you know, I was, you know, my little, my dad was six years and, like, he was the man in town. He had money and women would chase him and he would deal with all this tricky stuff. So you learn not to treat, trust women. But then you find out he paranoid schizophrenic, you know what I mean, later on. So you don't know anything you was taught was real. How, how old were you when you found out that, or he was, I guess, you became aware of his diagnosis of schizophrenia. I was like, I had to be like 14 or 15 and I was at his house. We walked in and he was saying something like, I don't know why you telling these people all this, all this shit about me. You know what I mean? 
you told him that I beat that woman. I didn't beat that woman. I just grabbed her like this. And then he grabbed me by my jacket and then he just like put me against the wall. And he was like, they can come for me. I got something for him. And then he went to his attic and pulled two Uzis out the attic. I went and told my uh, grandfather. And he was like, you shouldn't see him for a while. Then everything slowly happened from there. But, you know, when you talk to people, it slowly come out that he probably was that way, you know, when I got here. You know what I mean? Um, so, and then me and my sister went, which became a premise for my show. We went to visit him. And I was trying to, I was explaining to her in the car, like, whatever he said, you got to go with it. You know, and like how to like. How did you learn that? I think, here's it, by the time you get a certain age and now you're around people who shot people for real. I got bused to a, a white school, upper middle class white school, and I've been fortunate enough to be around all types of people by this point, from the from the people you think are bad that are good and vice versa. So you just know how to remain calm. You just learn that thing, even though if your, your stakes are high. Even with the stage, you're nervous, but you know how to remain calm. I think I got a handle of how to deal with, with him, and I started to forgive him. And I realized he was a good father. He just had these these things, and it wasn't his fault. So I was going to apologize to to and tell him thank you, and and really express how grateful I was for the time we had together. Because by this time, you realize people don't spend time with their father as an adult black male. Like some people don't got there, and the gaps are bigger as far as not knowing what to do and how to treat people, and how to survive in society. So at least I had that. You know, I knew he worked hard every day and. I got to understand what a man does from him and my grandfather. You know what I mean? And she came with me. And um, and I always say, yeah, I'm happy because she had her own father at the time who's, who did his his thing also. You know what I mean? So it was both of us coming to age of dealing with these situations. She went over there and it was just a thing. Like, <laughs> she laughing. Yeah, it's a thing. Like, going in the house. He invited us in and we looking at each other like... It was very, very like high stakes. You talking about like me too situations. Like you don't know if you should be there. And like that's the thing to have with your parent. You know, like women, you know, be nervous about going in strangers places. These are things you have with your people. You know what I mean? So we was in there, man, and we were, it was Elton John playing loud. And we had to talk over this Elton John. Do you remember the song? His song, different song. And he's sitting across from us. He's sitting across Ti- from tiny us. Tiny dancer, she said. Yeah, tiny dancer. Oh, people. she know, yeah. yeah like yeah. she he's sitting across from us just like like this. Like an interview style. And he's just staring at both of us, smoking a cigarette. And it's dark. He don't trust electricity. Only sunlight, only the little bit of sunlight is in the house. So it's it's almost back in the crack den days. You know, ain't nothing plugged in. And he just he was sitting outside when we pulled up with no shirt on and some jogging pants and a skull cap. So it was already like, it was already on this thing. Like, oh shit. And I'm telling her like back in. Like hood hood rules, you back in. And I told her if anything happened, I want you to, I like remember which way we came. If anything happened, jump in the car and leave. You know what I mean? He offered us some some water and we was like, nah, we good. And then we, we pulled out this photo album. Um, for some reason. I forgot the reason. And these photos, I had the most beautiful photos in it of my grandfather and grandmother, you know, whose relationship was kind of crazy, but they you could see they was in love. I saw pictures of mom that we never seen before when she was young and thin and beautiful and pictures of my dad, you know what I mean? Like all these happy photos 
that from this time period that and baby pictures that I don't really fully recall, you know, and then um we turned the page and then it just was like this these naked women. And my sister was making noises and I'm tapping her leg like like you act like the like we look still looking at the other photos. Even before that, she was like she saw a photo of my our mom she liked and she and this is a photo album, so it got that loud paper. And when she opened that paper, it he 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 snapped like yo, yo what you doing? And she was like, oh, I'm sorry. And for us to pull out our phones, I was like, take a picture with your phone. And for us to pull out our phones, he got an issue with phones. Oh, boy. Because it hurts him. It, it already, what do you call it? The radioactive stuff in the phone hurts, literally hurts him. It was an issue, you know what I mean? So he's watching us take pictures of this thing, you know. And then we turn the page and just naked women. It's just pages of naked women. How are they posed? Same pose. Uh, spread eagle holding their legs on their back. Oh, wow. With pussy, like a lot of pussy hair. All the spectrum from like, you know, dark skin to light skin. And it's very, it's very, it's weird. It's weird because my sister there, I like it. But my dad, we all freaks on my dad's side. You know what I mean? So, so I, what is your dad saying? What? Oh, he like, he like our reaction. He like, he like, and you know one thing about my dad, because my girl saw the same thing when he met my girl for the first time, he showed her the album. Oh, wow. He know exactly where when he met him, how he met him, and their name. So he's a very intelligent person. Yeah. yeah. He was like, oh, I met this lady during this time. So he's taking these photos. They're, they're all... Yeah, they all his. They Polaroid you know. pictures, which means uh-huh. he took a bunch of them just to get the pose right. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, they all photo. I swear to God. So those are questions in my mind. And then he was like, oh, man, if you turn the next page, it's my, it's my favorite picture. And I thought it was going to be my mom. I thought it was going to be a picture of my mom. <laughs> You know what I mean? And I braced myself for that. I was like, oh, shit. And my sister turned the page. It was my dad in the same position. <laughs> holding it. How you holding it? He got his thing out like this. Really in the yeah. same position. Two hands. And I'm like, two hands. And I'm mad. <laughs> I'm part of me mad because I'm like, where did, where did that come from? Because yeah. I didn't get that. <laughs> I didn't get that. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh! You know, and my sister like, yeah, I got that at the house, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm mad because I'm like, that's also I'm double mad now because I'm like, why I got? I'm like a hand and a half, I think. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and then he laughed, so that broke all the tension right there, right? So that broke when we all laughed. I was like, I'm gonna tell him, I'm, I'm gonna tell him like why I'm here, and uh, I wanted to tell him how thankful I was for who he who he was in my life for the time we spent together. They were great, some of the best times of my life. And he looked at my sister and was like, "Oh man, damn, I can't, I can't do that. Uh, I appreciate it, but nah, man, she pretty." He stared at my sister. Literally said, it. "She pretty, but damn, he was disappointed. Like, what, what? I can't believe, I can't believe you pimping out here, and you so want that's me to what fuck." He thought he, you, you were want doing. me to fuck your sister. Wow. So that's the dialogue he had in his head was yeah, some triggered him. To he say already thank think, you to him for being a father that you had brought, and that I brought my sister over there to set him up. Oh no! no. And I was like, no. Nah. And he was like, man. And then my sister was like, well, she used to be in an uncomfortable situation. She's like, well, good to see you again, Mister Bowles. And she headed for the door, and I'm just a guy making points. So I'm just trying to make my points. And then you know how I could get. So I'm shooting to like ten. They're like, no, nah, you on. Listen to what the fuck I'm trying to tell you. And I'm like starting to get like teary-eyed and emotional. And she come in and she grabbing me and he like, nah, man, I can't do this. I'm sorry. You know what I mean? And then we get in the car and like, I mean, it's the lowest of the low, you know? 
like as far as like busting out in tears and stuff, you know, real emotional. And, you know, she just like, you know, being, well, I don't know what is going on in her head, you know what I mean, at this moment, but she just being calm and stuff. And I'm just staring at the road on some very like low, you know, you just going down the road, your reality ain't there. And then I remember just, I had a steak from the restaurant we was at in the styrofoam, like a cold steak. And I just grabbed it out of the thing and I just ate it with my hand like, um, you know, because you famished, man. That was like an emotional, you know, just the, the adrenaline. And you like I the thing with my dad, I never know when I see him if, if the day going to be the day that he try to kill me and I'm going to have to try to kill him. You know what I mean? Right just to save my life. So it's always, and now I'm better for I know it's not going to happen. You know what I mean? But before I never knew, that's why I ain't seen him or talk to him for six years because yeah. he would he would trigger my anger and I would trigger his his schizophrenia. And I'm like, it's going to be, it's going, it's fucked up as sound. It's going to be one of us because he thought I was trying to kill him. And I'm like, I'm not going to let you kill me. So it's always was a sizing up thing when we see each other. But, you know, that's just what it was. And, I had to deal with it then. I had to deal. I had to come to grips with the fact that he would never know if he died that all was forgiven, and that's tough. You know what I mean? Sort of following up on um, Adam's question from before. Oh, okay. Here goes the thing. The know, LSD thing. Self care. It's kind of been like played out yeah. th- that term. So for you, how do you take care of yourself? Oh, in my 20s, I started reading a lot of, like, Tony Robbins. My friend and my mom, Linda Anderson, who's an incredible woman, you know what I mean? Uh, Educated and, like, self-made, you know, person. Got me to read Think and Grow Rich and, like, you know, and Tony Robbins at the time. So that's when it started, you know what I mean? Like, early 2000s, you know, of reading all these people's books and, and getting an understanding of like how to do mental mind states and uh, seeing my friends at 25, some of my friends had incredible lives. And I'm like, we all, how did, how did they get there? And I didn't, and I started to see, they think they were taught to think differently. You know, by this time, by this time, by the time we was 25, two of my mom's friends were executives, right? And my mom, I don't think had a job. I think we got evicted when, like when I was 25, you just had, the, my my nephew so we got a we got a, evicted so that was a learning lesson cause i had to go stay with my friends and um that's when i realized like something was weird because at one point each one of my friends moms stayed with each other in our little apartments whether they was getting a divorce or going through hard times and then fast forward 10 years later they executives how did they get there it's something different and that's when i started to see like a little bit how you know, we the things that we were lacking and then trying to get an understanding. Like, if I could change my my mind, maybe I could do something. And if I could, if my mom got a great personality and my dad had a great personality and I got half their personality, then maybe I could do stand-up. Because if not, then I don't know. I already tried working. I already tried selling drugs. You know, that's the thing. I was like, I got to do something. That was the start of it, right? Fast forward, it wasn't until 35 that I really started, like, like drinking and doing these things by instinct, which is weird because your chance of getting schizophrenia is from 18 to, like, 35, oddly enough. So by, 30, by the time 35, 36 is when I tried, you know, uh, uh, mushrooms for the first time. 
and I went to the show. You know what I mean? I met God and everything. And that's when I realized, like, oh, oh, this is kind of what my father sees. A, a, a bad, trippy version of this. So that's what helped me understand and understand how to communicate with people that are like that, you know? It's amazing that you say that because that was one of the first sanctioned use of psychedelics um, in the medical community was there was a movement to push to make uh, psychiatrists take them so they could better interface yeah. with uh, schizophrenic patients. Yeah. But you just intuited and then did, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I always follow my gut, which is important. If you can, if you can learn to trust it, you got to take those steps. It's never led me wrong, even though it takes you through some hard times. But at the end of the day, you know, it's like, I remember, like I said, instinctively comedy was like, this will take you to the promised land because I quit and I wasn't good. I got booed for like the first six months or a year. And then two years ago, I'm in the Dead Sea, right, floating. And I was like, how the fuck did I get here? <laughs> right? I'm like, how the fuck did I get here? And I'm looking like, the by the time I got there, because I was trying to get there early in the day, I got there as the sun was setting. So the water and the sky was the same color. So it looked endless. I just saw my toes and nothing else. I remember saying, hearing that, oh, it said comedy would, comedy would take me to the promised land. And I didn't even know what the promised land was when I started. You know what I mean? It's just something that I walked out on. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and then that's how I ended. And I was like, oh, I need a new dream. I'm living in the past now. If, I, if I'm here and this said it will get me here, I need to create something new from here on out. And, you know, hence me being in a relationship. Like, everything happened at a slow, what I call it, a slow moment. What is the new thing? The new thing to me, I think, is family now because I realize how important family is. And before, I didn't because of, you know, whatever issues our family have and stuff. Uh, but now I understand how important it is. And you definitely need a balance in life. Like, I see people who put their all into this business and they get to the to that top or they win their awards and I look at them and I'm like, they don't even look fulfilled. You know what I mean? You don't need money to live a fulfilled life. And uh, traveling helped me see that in journey. Cause you got, you go to Cuba and you got the poorest of the poor and they, they having parties or being in the hood in Eastwick in Atlanta on Friday and everybody drinking, they playing car, they playing spades and music going. And you, and then you chase this thing and you, and it could be empty at the end of the day. And when you got the abandonment issues and the trust issues that I have, that is the next part of the journey is dealing with those things, you, you know, being able to build a network like how we have and we're friends now or people you could trust and, and, and knowing what accountability is and integrity and learning those things and then putting that to use so you could be of service to a community once you find one. You could become a giver. So that's the next, that's the, on a bigger thing, that's the next thing. Because I've been alone traveling and moving around for so long and just trying to get people to do that, to expand their, you know, consciousness. So maybe this part of the journey was for me to be able to, like, give people that. But that's the thing now is getting to a level of what to give people. Like when I talked to my friend who gave me the books, she said I could buy anything I want to. I could buy anything I want to, which means I don't buy nothing. I'm in the philanthropy now. You know, if it's a, it was a lady on her job who they was going to let go because she didn't have a degree, you know, and she needed some credit. So the lady helped her get her credits. 
And it's nothing you talk about when people be like, I did this to help people. It's quiet. You see how women maneuver, you know what I mean? My girlfriend helps so many women on the low. And I'm watching it like, oh, this is how you do things. And and, and women been doing that for so long, just open the door for other women to get through. And you see that battle because I'm from a family like of a lot of women. You know what I mean? And it's eerie because it affect, that affected my dating situation growing up. You know what I mean? Until I blocked out, you know, what women talk about. And then I was able to get laid. But before I was always like, man, I wonder if she going to feel this way if I do this or that. And I never would get laid because I'm blocking myself in my head. And I was talking to a chick. Uh, I think it was a female comic out here named Mara. You know what I mean? Mara Merrick. And she was like, you aloof. She's like, I would be out and you, it'd be so many girls want to fuck you and you don't even know because you somewhere else. And I just started. And then one summer, I had like 10 female friends, right? And I was like, damn, this too. I asked one dude, I was like, man, you got how many female friends you got? He's like, what the fuck I look like with female friends? You know, I just, I just, just fuck them. And I was like, damn, because women always would fuck assholes to me. And I was like, oh, I got to be this guy. You know what I mean? And then I just started getting laid like too much. To where I was like, oh, this is like my dad. My dad has slept with like over probably 250, 300 women. And I was from a small town. That's a lot. You know what I mean? And then I was like, oh, I'm, I got this curse, this family curse. Like my uncles and my dad got when I started getting too deep into this thing. And the women I was meeting wasn't like how dudes tell sex stories. All these women were like strong, aggressive women. So I'm in the bed and choked out or like weird shit was happening to me that don't happen to other dudes. You know what I mean? Like, I'm banging this lady, and I'm, I'm fucking in the ass, and she was like, fuck me, you faggot. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, this is a true story, you know what I mean? And my ego affected my stroke and everything, but I didn't quit. I pushed that shit down, and I plowed through, you know what I mean? There you go. I didn't want to go down that path, and I realized I had, like, trust issues. And I just, you want somebody that you get when you have sex with them, whatever you do, and you can fall asleep at night next to them, you know what I mean? Yep. So... Hence, by the time that was was slowly, like, hitting my su- subconscious, I met my lady on Bumble. You know what I mean? And then we've been together for, like, two and a half years. <laughs> I did this really guy, and he was um, cer- very certain about me right away. That's how I was. The first date, she was like, I want to have kids, uh, and I'm looking for a long-term relationship. And I've learned to just go with it. Mm-hmm. Improv. Like, sure, sure. But I wasn't opposed to it. But I was just like, it wasn't going to happen at the moment. But now I'm the one like, yo, what's up with them kids? You, you, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's aggressive. I say it's like, like since I've been around so many strong women, I'm like, this like taking it up a notch because oh, it's yeah. intense. All your arguments or, you know, like my homeboys say, like, it's certain women you can't, anything you say to them, they ain't going to believe you. It's a version of that. Like, did you lock the door? Yeah, I locked the door. Let me go check. That's what I do. I, you know, I, I had someone do um, video, send me a video of them locking the door because I didn't believe them. You know, in the black, I mean, well, when I was growing up, this education, they were stressing education and getting out of, don't go to jail. And I don't know what mom, mom raised us differently because, you know, she told me like my sister light skinned and a woman, the world's going to treat her a certain way. And she gave me a little bit more leeway. I didn't have a curfew or nothing because she's like, I'm a black male. And when I leave the house, I might not come back. Like I'm going to get, I can get my ass whooped any of these things outside. It's going to be harsh for me outside, so I got just a tad bit more leeway, but it do affect these things when you're in a relationship, you know what I mean? 
because me and my girl are two independent people that come together and we butt heads because of that. When it's time for something to get done, she's a director. So she used to directing. And I'm a guy with uh, authority problems. So that's what it is. You know what I mean? And it's learning that. Yeah. Like when we get in, every time we get in an argument, I understand why. Y'all understand the trigger, like why? But I just don't, I gotta, I can't stop it. I was gonna, have you met her family? Are they, oh, yeah, are they, yeah. I went to Israel, Israel? Yeah. Where, where do they live? They, mom, mom and dad live outside of Tel Aviv, maybe okay. 20 or 30 minutes in different directions. And her sister lives like a walking distance from her mom. And they beef a little bit, which is cool. It's the same family structure. I remember somebody asked, like, how can an Israeli and a black dude be together? Because Israeli, like, from Israel, the culture is so distinct. Especially and, Tel Aviv. And they hang out yeah. amongst themselves. And everybody know about black culture. And it's like, we got the same family structure. Like, her dad's an addict. You know what I mean? Mm. Her mom and sister beef like my mom and sister beef. You know what I mean? Um, different fathers, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So... Though the good thing is, unlike, you know, my last relationship, uh, when the trauma hits, they know we know what to do. Like we could we both are ver we both read the similar books. So we could be heated and then we could sit down and discuss it. With my last relationship, nothing got discussed. But with this one, we could easily work on things. You know, cause we like, oh, this is just a little hiccup. If we make these adjustments, we could do better and we start to like become better because we definitely got different we like different movies and stuff like that but i think outside of outside of like hollywood and show business when we get together and we go places is 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 cool you know so and i'm blessed for that you know what i mean but they love hard i'm not used to being loved like this so it's scary it's scary and i'm and yeah getting an understanding of what actual love is and i still don't know happiness is such a i don't know it made me feel a negative way you know, so I really don't understand, maybe me not understanding what it is or something I don't believe in, you know what I mean? So, but, yeah, understanding, like, this love thing is like, you know, I don't know, it's just what it is, you know? For many years, I didn't, I couldn't accept when things were going well. It was just like, there was no way that I feel like the universe was just, like, sort of fucking with me, right? So yeah. it's like, oh, this is, this is not... This is not real. Yeah. So I don't know if you can relate to that. Yeah, that's but how it I took feel. me a long time to say, like, oh no, this is it's this is the way it's just supposed to be. Yeah. Like I question myself a lot. Like, is this real? Is this real? Or like I vision myself being here, but I didn't think it would look like this. You know what I mean? So yeah, when I I'm walking the dog and I'm talking to neighborhood security and like my issues are different now. You know what I mean? Some of them. And I'm like, how do you where do you go from here? You know, like, where do you go? You know what I mean? And that's the thing I, I think about sometimes. I was in the sauna the other night at 10 o'clock at night, you know, meditating, transcendental meditation, doing my mantra. You know what I mean? And I'm like, damn, how did I get here? Another thing, you know what I mean? So it's, it's I think it, it's like this part of the thing where like it's paid off. Everything you went through, uh, it's like the universe is finally like, okay, here go a little something. When before it's like, fuck you, God, why could you why you always put me through this shit? You know what I mean? And now it's like, oh, okay. This is a glimpse of now where do you go? Do you you want everybody to experience this, you know what I mean? In in some form, whatever that version of it is. And it sounds like you're able to accept uh, at least some of the good stuff that's coming along now. Cause I I know with me, 
it's very hard often, even when I get to a more positive place, to accept what's happening to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, I feel you on that, you know. It's very interesting, and it's interesting to adjustments, and I know that, you know, it's not, it's not over, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, my girl, like, you see me over here struggling, and you gonna stand there and watch, and I'm like, what? You trying to close the suitcase, you put too many clothes in. Why don't you take some of the clothes? I don't want to take the clothes out. I want you to come and sit on it while I zip it or zip it for me. <laughs> like, it's learning that. I'm getting cursed out over that, and I'm like, this ain't bad. If this is what dudes go through every day, this ain't bad. Is it frustrating being around people that you know are less talented than you? Or is it just like, I'm going to get there eventually? Is right. it because... It's I, frustrating. It's frustrating because I don't know. I guess I, I kind of know what I'm doing, but I don't when it comes to show business. Like, you get me on stage, I'm good. But outside of that, you know, it's like, oh, wait, what? I'm still in that moment. Like, should I do it? Do industry stuff or should I go full independent? Right. But I have abil- ability uh, to do industry stuff because they still kind of mess with me. You know what I mean? Um, so that part is frustration, one. And two, the people I'm around are way more, what I would consider way more successful than me. They had TV shows. They got money. You know what I mean? They, um, yeah, they their teams treat them well, you know? Uh, my girl's a director who's bubbling. So to me, everybody around me is so much more uh, talented than me. So that's what it is. Because now, if you before I met my girl, I probably was way more than shit. But now it's like, oh, this is what show business is. Mm-hmm. When you could when you could be in charge of seventy five to one hundred and fifty people, and they willing to work with you, and you five foot four, you know what I mean? And they gonna listen to you, and you know how to motivate everybody every day to do some type of work. To me, there's some CEO type shit. Or I was with my girl when Frida Beard was formed, and we were sitting at that table, and nobody would speak out about how female directors were treated in advertising. And they took their name off the article, and she put her name on, and people was like, oh, you fucked up for putting your name on because it's only 3% of female directors working. You might not work. And she was like, I don't, I don't give a fuck. I'm finna tell everybody, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it turned into this massive thing and I told her I was like this is gonna be dope I'm like you gonna need a coffee mug and she was like this ain't gonna go corporate and two a year later five different countries I'm, I met with her at Global Citizen it's this big corporate thing she got employees again for this thing and I'm seeing like she's an activist and stuff I don't really believe in and I guess cause I'm selfish um, I think my whole thing is like oh when, you, when the pistols come out that's when shit get done so until then, y'all just walking up and down the street with signs. And to see the change and how it's done, she was like, no, you can create change like this. You know what I mean? You can make change little by little, or you can sacrifice yourself for the greater good of people. Um, so that's that's the stuff that humbled me, because I'm like, I'm not doing shit yet. You know what I mean? Even if I was to make money, like when I was young, I worked a corporate job and I made money, I wasn't happy. So it's like, oh, like what does that fulfillment or do I give back and then just dealing with my issues? So it don't matter how much money I got, how many accolades people give me or the things y'all say about me, I don't know about myself. I don't consider myself. I consider myself great, but I don't at the same time because I'm still that country nigga that was picked on, what society told me I was. You know what I mean? Uh, I so, remember, sorry to interrupt. I remember what you I said, do you think you'll be humble? You'll always be humble. No. Nah, and you said no. No, nah, I won't be humble all the time. You got to think, if my dad didn't go crazy, 
I would be the I would have been the ten year old dude with motorcycles, raised in a fire in a house with multiple cars and boats. That's the level I was on before we before everything went south. You know what I mean? I had guns at like eight years old. I was fishing. You know, my granddaddy was a man. My dad was the man. You know what I mean? So I got a little bit of that coming into the game. You know what I mean? And I still know I walk with like some type of swag or people say I was cool and they say, man, you so cool. No, I'm the guy that I'm the guy that got picked on so much he became suicidal and not gave a fuck about that. Then y'all said I was cool. Like that those things don't matter to me no more. Cause it's all like a facade, you know? So I just try to do me and then like, you know, live the best life that I could I could live for myself. You know what I mean? It's some of that. But yeah, like if I was if I was to blow up 10 years ago, 8 years ago, I wouldn't be humble. Even if I was to get a lot of shit on me now, I wouldn't be humble because it just unlocked that crazy shit I want to do. I'd be walking down Hollywood Boulevard on a camel. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I you think, should do that sometime anyway, just for fun, you know? Why yeah. Not? I'm still George. I'm still Atlanta, so I'm a stunt. <laughs> um, I used to work in mental health, and uh, some of my clients were schizophrenic, and other members of my clients had family members that were schizophrenic. And uh, those people... Often there was a thought in their head of they were afraid that this was going to get unlocked inside themselves. Yeah. Is that something that you think about or used to deal with? I really am not afraid of it too much anymore. When I was when I was writing the pilot for my show, I did ask myself whether I was crazy or was it real. I was so deep into that zone of a character creating that I realized like my dad is in some mental place in a mental home right now in a room by himself I'm in a studio apartment on the other side of the world by myself and I'm like is this real what if he's the same one and what if I'm the crazy one all alone and some weird deception type shit and I start pacing in my apartment like I think I felt a little bit of what anxiety was like but then all the books and stuff came that I read and I just opened the window and then it all went away so that's the thing is like I'm constantly like on watch, but I'm not afraid. Only anger is the only thing that I worry about because it comes, it's like I'm on a nine already and people think I'm calm. And then when that trigger hit, you just don't know. You know what I mean? Especially somebody that almost done some of the the stuff I've done, you know. And that's why I talk about certain topics. How matter how dark it, people say it is, like that's why death is in my set and suicide and like mass shootings and everything and AIDS, like everything that, I have a direct connection to or know somebody that done it, then it's that's is in my set because that's how I deal with it. You know what I mean? Speaking of AIDS, uh, Byron's AIDS joke will be the first AIDS joke in the history of CBS to ever go on a late night show. Actually, there's I don't think there's been one AIDS joke in the history of late night I, I or schizophrenia joke. Maybe that's a good. I guess that's a good accomplishment. I can take yeah. that with me. That's, that's what I'm gonna brag about. Yeah. yeah. Until somebody pull up a clip. Yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, did you attempt suicide? I got I got close to attempting it, attempting suicide. But I thought I used to I used to hustle for like six months. I sold a crack, and when I stopped, it's like giving away all your superpowers. You know. Oh yeah, explain that a little more to. Uh... Well, when you when you hustle, you the man. If just like comedy, everybody want to laugh. Everybody's looking at you and stuff. When you hustle, people are like you. People are coming at you for you know that whatever they need. You know what I mean? Uh, and you, everybody's your friend and all this stuff, and you got power over people. 
You can tell a guy, you know, I ain't got no money. He ain't got no money. I want you to run into Macy's and get me some coats and then and then just and then just run out and then they'll do that shit. And I never understood it because I remember when I was young, like my dad has one eye. Somebody made him climb a telephone pole for some drugs. And they knocked, I mean, they knocked this out with a bat. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm gonna find this dude and I'm gonna kill him. You know what I mean? And um, and when the opportunity presented myself to even get into the drug game, I did it just to see what the other side was like. And that's when I was like, oh, it's not this guy's necessarily this guy's fault. You know what I mean? Because you get addicted to that life yourself, especially if you come up, grow up getting bullied and stuff. And then like in high school, I became a bully. You know what I mean? Like by the tenth, eleventh grade, I became a bully. I was just a short bully. You know, so it's a it's a version of that having all that power. And then you seeing the destruction. It's like an acid trip. You see the destruction that you're doing. And I was at a private college, and then I would leave and go to the hood at night. And leave. I had like I lived a triple life. You know what I mean? And um, I'm like, man, I'm killing, I'm killing my own people. Uh, and this game ain't. I'm a, uh, the biggest thing in that in that town was a pharmaceutical company. They made pills. And I'm like, I'm gonna lose. I'm fighting a losing game because they gonna win. We're going to be off the streets in five years or one of these niggas going to shoot me and this building is still going to be here pumping drugs out. So it's like being aware and seeing that stuff and slowly. And I got offered the town. I got offered that town, you know what I mean, which is huge if, if for anybody moving up. It's like becoming general manager of so, the, of so the, the city. The whole town would be your territory. The whole town would be my territory. And it's a price to play because you're an outsider, which is one of the things we had to deal with, you know. So long story short, I left that, you know what I mean, and um, and uh, you know, it was just a lonely. It was a, another abandonment thing, you know. The game was gone. My 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 family was far away. I'm in this small town. Uh, didn't fit in. Uh, you know, I think my mom married some dude. She ran off and married some dude that we didn't know about. I got alienated. I got pushed out the house. Wow. You know, nowhere to go really. Cause this dude came in and he brought his family in and everything. Like my first two months when I left home, I got pushed out the house. You supposed to go back for Thanksgiving and there was no place for me to sleep. Wow. You know what I mean? So I had a partial basketball scholarship that wasn't working, um, and I was like, I'm about to just you know end it. You know what I mean? I'm about to just jump out this window and end it. And uh, I remember someone was like, "Nigga, you on the first floor? Do it." You know, do it. I'll fuck you up. And to me, that's that's God talking to me, like laughing at me, like nigga, you gonna be deformed and shit. Then what you gonna tell people? You know. And then I'm walking around deformed, telling people, oh yeah, I slipped out the window, whatever. <laughs> and my sense of humor kicked in right then, cause it was just me and what I call God. We just having this conversation, and God just, just leaning on me with this fucked up ass joke. You know what I mean? And uh, everything kind of started there. You know what I mean? And from there, I went into like starting to rap and shit. You know, but I moved, I left, moved back to Georgia and went to another school and then started writing rhymes. And those were the fir first like punchlines. If you look at my like jokes on this paper, like suicide, police brutality, you know, sea yeah. turtle, like they don't care about us. You know what I mean? It could be like a rapper's like title list on his uh on his rap thing. But a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, it's come from like I started like writing these jokes. And what made me quit rap rapping was Eminem album came out and it was just as 
He said everything I wanted to say. If you listen to Eminem's first album, how dark and suicidal and mad at his mom and he killed his, his girl and all that, that was my first, that was that was everything right there. And I was like, well, and I, I ain't going to say it as good as he did. And he knocked it out the park. So, yeah. you know. Thank you, Thank man. you so much. I, I think people are really going to enjoy and benefit from hearing your incredible perspective. And I think a lot more people are going to be hearing it very, very soon. Thank you, man. So I feel privileged to get to talk to you now before. The worst thing you could say to a comic is that, and I say it all the time, but I'm going to say it again because I completely agree with Adam. And that's exactly how I feel. This is your year for sure. No, thank you. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. And then you all will see how humble I am when I come back. I'm kind of looking yeah. forward to it, actually. Just yeah, yeah, we- yeah. You guys drinking wine? Pee? Yes, we're drinking wine Kombucha. mixed with <laughs> no, pee, Jessica. That's yeah, what, it looks I, like urine. It perks me up in the morning. <laughs>